I feel like I'm coming home to you all. Um, I think the last time I was here with you was Charter Membership Weekend. And uh, that was very special. And uh, I've got to... Jerry told me earlier in the week by text, he said, well, you have to introduce yourself. So he didn't say I had to make it short. So I can go way back in introductions here with the bridge. In fact, Jerry and I go back to the 70s. We were in a seminary together in Dallas, Texas. And then, I don't know if I can say this as well, but uh, David's parents and I uh, go back to Missouri, also in the 70s, when David's parents were college students. And they were in a church plant that my wife and I did in Kirksville, Missouri. And so we've been close to the the Heard family. It's good to see we have a bunch of them with us uh, for a long time and uh, connecting and praying and, and working together in some ways. And then um, when I was pastoring a church not too far from here in Clear Lake, I got to know Lila. And so we go back a couple of decades. And uh, she has been an encourager and a prayer warrior and uh Probably, humanly speaking, the bridge would not be here without uh, Lila being a mainstay and, uh, and praying. And she had been in, in an evangelical free church that had been here before in Eau Claire. So a lot of connections. Some of you I know from Stevens Point. My wife and I have lived in Stevens Point, Wisconsin since uh, 1992. Uh, a lot of our kids went through the university there. And I've been the director of church multiplication with the Evangelical Free Church since that time. So I get to travel all over Wisconsin, Upper Michigan, helping to start new ministries, new works of God, hopefully making disciples and planting churches. So it was about, uh, let's see, was it four years ago or was it five years ago this fall that I troubled Jerry one day? I gave him a phone call while I was making one of my long trips, and I said, you know, Jerry, have you ever thought that God might want you to move to Eau Claire and start a new church? And lo and behold, uh, I guess I was in the wavelength of the Holy Spirit that day because shortly after that, um, it became clear to Jerry and Sue that in fact, they should leave Stoughton and they should come to Eau Claire and this has been an exciting jury, a journey since that time. And uh, wow, it's, it's, it's been a ride. And how many people I meet across uh, the state I just at a wedding last weekend and this person and that person said, oh yeah, I go to the bridge. And uh, so it's fantastic to see. I imagine there's a number of students that haven't come back from Thanksgiving yet that are probably part of uh, the bridge family. So it is uh, indeed uh, great to be with you today, and I do have a, a disclaimer. The, the, the bulletin today is not inerrant. It probably usually it is, but today it's not. So the disclaimer I have is that I'm not speaking on Psalm 40 today. Good thing I didn't put a whole outline in there. I've changed that, and in fact, I'm going to be speaking about uh, disciple-making today. And I know that that is a primary forte 
of, uh, of your pastor and his wife. And so you as a congregation already know a lot about that. But God has been putting a lot further um, emphasis and focus on that in my life. So I want to um, draw our attention to a passage of Scripture today. And in fact, we'll go into a, a couple of passages that focus on that. Let me ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thank you that uh, you have uh, chosen to call us out today to be here. First of all, to be with you, Father, and to have your Holy Spirit work in our lives, to draw our attention to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we bow before you this day, and we ask that you would help us to surrender our hearts to you. For indeed, we desire to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And if there's someone still on that journey who is considering the claims of Jesus, considering becoming a disciple, help that person through your spirit this day to be further persuaded of the beauty of being a follower of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, our Savior Jesus. We commit this time to you. Amen. Well, you know, it's important in whatever you are doing that you know what's the most important thing. With your given the responsibility of cleaning a building, you need to know what's the most important thing I need to make sure I get done here. Or if you are a student at the university, what's the most important thing I need to be doing right now? My son is finishing up his fourth year of med school and so I called him the other night. I said, hey, Jeremy, what are you doing? He said, I'm tying knots. <laughs> uh, he was on a one-month rotation in La Crosse, and, and he said, he said he's moving toward general surgery. And he said, I want us to keep practicing tying knots, tying knots, tying knots. I guess when you are doing laparoscopic surgery and uh, you need to uh, suture up a person and tie those knots just right, it's pretty important that you can do it blindfolded and all. So whatever you are doing, it's pretty important to know what's the most important thing you need to be doing. So we're not just scattered about in all that we could be doing. So the, the passage, you can put that up for me, Tom. The passage of Scripture that um, is sort of an introduction to where we're going today tells us what the most essential thing for us our one clear mission in life. Jesus came up to them and spoke to them saying, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I was speaking in a church uh, a couple years ago and I asked, uh, don't often do feedback time when I'm preaching, but I said, what's the most important thing for us to be doing? And there was this 83-year-old lady whom I knew in that church, and she immediately said, make disciples. And as we had lunch later, I got to see why Irene knew what the most important thing was that we ought to be doing. Because every Tuesday afternoon, she has three students from the high school. Now, she's 83, living in an assisted living place. 
She has three students that come over to her room. Can't say home, but her room. And she disciples them. Is that fantastic? Way to go, Irene. She knew the answer right away. And so it's, it's not rocket science. It's pretty clear stuff that we're going to be looking at. And it's the last thing that Jesus told us. So it, it is really pretty important. Make disciples. Now, it's interesting, as I've worked with a lot of church planters for a lot of years, um, and our National Start team came to the point of realizing we're sending out people to plant churches. They know how to go through the organizational activities of starting a weekend event and service and all the structures that go into it. But a lot of them, believe it or not, don't know how to make disciples who can reproduce themselves into other people and make disciples. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. And uh, if you'd like to follow along with me, I don't have this, this Scripture on um, the screen, but it's in Luke. Sorry, it's not Psalm 40. It is uh, maybe some other time. I love that Psalm. Oh, if you're looking for a Psalm to lift you up, um, read Psalm 40. Meditate on it. Spend a week in it. So as you turn to Luke chapter 6, I want to ask you this question. If our first mission is to make disciples, how are we doing? So simply, how are we doing? Here's what uh, three guys who've written a lot about discipleship have to say. How are we doing? Dallas Willard says, one is not required to be or intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward discipleship. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship is optional. Hmm. Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, written back in the late 50s, probably the most neglected book on discipleship that's ever been written. One of the clearest books. But Robert Coleman said this. He asked this question. Are our efforts to keep things going, fulfilling the great commission of Christ? That verse up I had there before, if you're not aware of, that's what we call the great commission uh, from the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. That's what we call the Great Commission. So Robert Coleman says, Is everything we are doing helping to fulfill that? When Jesus' plan is reflected upon, the basic philosophy is so different from that of the modern church that its implications are nothing less than revolutionary. And then one more quote. A couple of years ago, I got to go to a conference in the Twin Cities with a couple of guys from Australia, uh, Colin Marshall and uh, Tony Payne. And they have a book. It's worth reading for sure. It's influenced a lot of people in the past several years. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. And the picture is, you need to have a trellis in order to grow a vine, picturing a grape plant. But you don't need a massive trellis to grow a vine. And just because you have a, a trellis doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a fruitful vine. The most important thing is the vine, 
the trellis is just there for support. And the picture is that a lot of churches have become great trellis builders, sophisticated and refined, but they have lost sight of the primary, most important focus, which is make disciples, make sure there's fruit. And that is, as we know from John 15, all about the vine, what happens on the vine. Here's what um, they say in that book. The goal of Christian ministry is quite simple and in a sense measurable. Are we making and nurturing genuine disciples of Christ? Most churches need to make a conscious shift away from erecting and maintaining structures and towards growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. Okay, so what do we mean by a disciple? Uh, this is my little stab at a definition of a disciple. is a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus who is continually becoming more like Jesus in character, who I am, and in action, what I am doing. So it's both. It's lifelong, it's continual, and it's inward, and it's outward. So I want to just talk to you this morning about just three essentials. Make it simple here. Um, just three clear essentials for growing disciples and growing movements. And here they are. And we'll talk about these three from Luke chapter 6. Experiencing transformation, enjoying community, and engaging in mission. I want to read a passage here, which, uh, which would be one of many that we could look at from Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. One of many that we could look at that would incorporate these three essential elements for making and growing disciples. These are the three essentials for any church, for the Bridge Church. And as I reviewed your core values, your core values touch on these. And so it should. In uh, Luke chapter 6, it was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. Now, this is going to be on the quiz. As you leave today, you need to know the 12 names. So you have to have them in order, spelled right. So no one leaves until you got all 12. So pay attention. No, no, we'll, we'll make it easy. When I meet you at the door, you have to tell me how many there were. You know, so... I won't ask you for all the names. So, um, Okay, where were we here? Andrew, his brother, and James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was also called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. So the first essential that we look at, and I just want to show you this little triangle here, which, which sort of captures these three, 
And uh, it's, it's another simple way to look at it. Um, we need to have these three experiences in our life continually going on all the time. Uh, sometimes we're focusing on one more than the other, but all three of these. We need to have an up experience with God. We need to have an in experience in community, in the body of Christ, with one another in greater and greater intensity. And then when we have, as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, a truly authentic, vital, daily, continuous relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're doing that in community together, uh, you don't have to force the outflow. There will be impact coming out of that life. There will be an outward experience. And it won't be primarily programmed by the church what it is to be. It will be orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said in Acts chapter, eight, chapter 1, verse 8, which is a pattern of the whole book of Acts, where he says, you will receive power when you're in a relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and you'll be my witnesses. And, and there will be movement. There will be witnessing in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and all over the world wherever God is sending you. So that will be a spontaneous expression. Well, <clears throat> i got to tell you about a fun mountain experience, mountain trip experience. I think every, at least every two years, everyone should go to the mountains. And I think on the odd years, you should make sure you get to the oceans. I mean, those two experiences. you got to be on the mountaintops, and you got to have a time when you're just letting the waves, as I was, my wife and I were in... Uh, Polly's Island, um, South Carolina in September. And I was thinking, oh my, got to bring my family over here. And so anyway, a couple of years ago, my boys and I have three sons, Jeremy, John, and James. And we said, you know, we've, we've got to go to the mountains this summer. And uh, so it worked out that we could go to Southwest Colorado, Sangre de Cristo Mountains. There's a Horn Creek there. Uh, Jeremy had worked there for a summer. And then... Um, my son John worked there for a summer and uh, found his wife there, so pretty special place. So we got in at 2 in the morning, and uh, the camp is at 8,000 feet, and you're supposed to have a period of acclimation. Well, let's see, we had eight hours of acclimation, so by 10 in the morning, we're trying to go from 8,000 to 12,005, and you know, for young guys, you know, that have full 100% oxygen capacity, that's sort of cool, you know, you can, you, it's doable, but... Um, you know, I did great for the, the first three and a half miles, seven-mile trip to getting up there. And, uh, oh, my, it was sort of embarrassing. I did, you know, I, I did great till lunch. And uh, then when it started going straighter up, uh, the last mile, <clears throat> I hate to admit this, but my son John wound up carrying my 50-pound backpack so I could catch my breath. But I did make it up there, and we got a couple pictures of that here. There's my boys and uh, Horn Creek in the back and, and one more just to prove that I actually did make it up there. Well, the next morning, uh, they, which was Sunday morning, you know, they went up further to 13,000 and, and did some great trout fishing up there and all. Well, I had about four hours where I was not going to try to go further up, but I had about four hours where just the Lord and I. And uh, there I was in the Psalms and journaling a lot and, and praying and reflecting and so it truly was, for me, a mountaintop experience. You know, as a Christian, you don't go to the mountain just to see the sights, although that's phenomenal, and it encourages you. But you sort of go to the mountain to really be in touch with God, to enjoy the, the beauty, 
the grandeur and to, to feel your heart inspired to give glory to God. And, and we could say that's what Jesus was experiencing that night as he spent all night with the Father. Uh, he, was, he was delighted to be with the Father. And this was not an abnormal thing. He didn't just do this because he, oh, he was racking his brain. How am I going to choose between these hundreds of followers of mine, which are going to be my 12? And, oh, God, help me out. Ah, this was a regular pattern of Jesus to spend intensive time with the Father. Because there's only one point of beginning in the universe. There's only one thing that keeps the whole universe together. And that is a father-son relationship. That started it all. Because there was a Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Everything else burst out of that, out of that community and that love relationship. And so Jesus maintained that all of the time. He would, he, it would be like you would say he, be, he was continually going up and enjoying that intimacy with, him, with the Father and giving us the pattern and the picture of how you and I, in the course of whether we're a student, you know, whether we're a worker, whether we're home with kids, with kids, we're continually experiencing that up time with God. And so it's a picture of, uh, of great intimacy, of great connection, of enjoying being together, and uh, a time of planning, a time of closeness. And in fact, if you were to, to look at, um, at John chapters 5 and 6, you would see verses like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does. By Myself, I can do nothing. So transformation in our lives, true life change only comes as we're giving ourselves more and more time to be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we had time to interact, I'm sure that all over this room today, you would have suggestions for how are you experiencing that. I know how it is for me. Um, how I start my day. There's a certain spot in my house, and I have a big window, and I have a big chair there, and and I'm I'm a coffee man, so that you know that coffee is brewing oftentimes at five in the morning, and and I just have to have that extended time where the I, I'm just with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and I'm lifted up and refreshed. A lot of times it's a time of repentance. God's bringing things to my mind that need to be cleansed. Uh, a lot of times I'm journaling, and I'm writing down things that God is sharing to me. Of course, I have the Scriptures open. Um, and sometimes it's just, it's just sitting in the dark and just reflecting and praying and, and rejoicing. But it's sort of like going to the mountain, though you're not in the mountains. And um, so I encourage you to experience that kind of transformation with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, it determines everything else in our lives. And if we are to follow through on Jesus' instruction, Ray, I want you to make disciples who will make disciples. I can't help them do that unless they see me doing that. So it ought to be a natural experience. Secondly, we must experience that transformation in community, enjoying community. So what was Jesus doing here? He was picking 12 people 
that he was going to pour his life into. If you were to look at Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, he chose the 12 just to be with him. Just to be with him. And if you couple that with Acts chapter 4, verse 13, 314 and 413, sort of flip there, easy to remember, where after Pentecost and after all of the leaders who had killed Jesus in Jerusalem now were confronted with these disciples who were doing miraculous things like Jesus had been doing, and they brought them in front of the council and they threatened them, and, um, and, and they couldn't stop them because what the disciples were doing was so evidently of God that it said they began to recognize them. Here's their, the enemy. So began to recognize these disciples had been with Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, it will become evident to other people that they had been with Jesus. So Jesus never calls us just to grow by myself as a disciple. I can only do that when I give myself into being in a close community with other Christians, that they might be with him. Tom, that next one there says, our heart's desire is to belong. Where is my place of belonging? Am I enjoying community? Life change and training can only occur in authentic and close relationships. I just throw one more picture of some of my buddies there. There's Mark, there's David, there's Jerry. For 18 months, you know, we've committed ourselves to being in what we call a quad and um, not just studying the scriptures together, but um, we started out our time by each guy took the whole time that we spent that day just telling his life story. Hey, do you have many friends that you could spend a couple hours just telling your life story and they would ask you questions and they would get to know you and you'd get to know them. So if you can imagine after 18 months, I've become pretty close to David and, and Jerry and Mark. Some remarkable things happened in their lives and mine in these 18 months. We need to have that triad or that quad or that one-on-one or that that small group experience. My wife and I are also involved in a, in a Wednesday night small group experience. Um, also on a Friday morning, I meet with four of the brothers. We're going through scriptures together. I have a team across the district. I call it my TMC Multiply Team. I guess you know what the TMC stands for. Transformation, Mission, and Community. Because the only thing I can do in the district relates to TMC. If I'm not involved in TMC, if I don't have a team of people that I'm building into their lives, TMC, we can do nothing. We're not focusing on the most important thing. So I would say that in the last eight months, as this TMC team of five other guys and myself, uh, one of the things we do is every Friday... From 11.44 to 12.44, 12.54, we are on a conference call together. And uh, we have a brother, former megachurch pastor in the Twin Cities, that um, 
that's mentoring us and we're interacting and we're sharing life and it's been some some profoundly rich experience during that time. Do you have that going on in your life? I mean, church is so much more than a Sunday morning one-hour appointment type thing, right? I mean, you have that, right? Or you're working toward that. You could tell stories to me about how you're experiencing that in Christ's deeper community relationship. It would be another whole sermon to talk about all the barriers to that, all the things that keep us from having that. And uh, Satan doesn't want us to have that, of course. But we need to work toward that because life change only takes place in that uh, deeper community experience. And, of course, it also starts with your family. I mean, it's got to be happening in your family. I've got eight kids. Um, Number 21 and number 22 grandkids are on the way. So we have a big extended family. The... uh, the word sort of for family, extended family in the New Testament is oikos. And we have our own oikos. Um, and so we've, for 38 years, have been discipling kids in my family. And now they're discipling their kids. And the church only grows as it proves itself to be workable in a marriage, first of all, and then in a home situation. As someone said, you know, if it doesn't work for you at home, you don't get the right to export it. And so moms and dads, those of you who are going through those heavy times of, of working with your young children, you're, you're a discipler. And they are disciples of Jesus Christ. And you're, you're working with them. And it starts at home. And we have to live out our Christianity in our normal flow of uh, relationships. Well, let's move on to the third here engaging in mission because there should be an overflow if we're enjoying being with a band of brothers and sisters in christ and we're enjoying getting to know jesus better and a follow a disciple is a follower of jesus who's continually becoming more like him and enjoying him more and uh is becoming transformed into his likeness i guess if you want to write down one more verse it would be one of the key verses on transformation is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We won't look it up, but you need to look that up. Uh, As that is happening, there will be mission flowing out of our lives. You see what's happened? Let's let's just read those last three verses again in, in Luke 6. When Jesus came down with them. So now everything Jesus was doing for people outwardly, he always had these 12 people crowding in, looking, listening, learning, because he was using all of the times of miracle and mission primarily to train his 12 and then the 72. Because there's only plan A. The only plan A, there's no plan B. Plan A is that Everything he is doing, those 12 have to be doing because he's leaving and it's up to them and the Holy Spirit. So it has to work. They have to watch what he is doing. They have to learn how to do what he was doing. So everything basically that Jesus was doing, you and I are in the process of learning to do. What was he doing? He came down with them, stood on a level place, There was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem 
the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. Lots of people. And uh, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him. For power was coming from him and healing them all. And that's true of us today as we're experiencing upward transformation, enjoying community, there will be power flowing out of our lives. There will be love flowing out of our lives. There will be mission. Sometimes it's spontaneous. Sometimes it's structured. But it's going to be happening. And it's, it's proclaiming Christ because they were hearing. It's touching people's lives in a deep way, a healing physically, healing emotionally. And if you're not quite aware of it, there's a lot of evil in the world, right? You see it all the time. You're oppressed by it. We are here to cast that out. We have the power in the name of Christ to push back the forces of evil. And as disciples, we get to do that. And so Jesus said, you are going to be resisting the forces of evil, destroying people's lives. So who am I engaging with? Well, here's one of my my favorite couples to engage with. Uh, Al and Carol, next door neighbors. And Al is 93. Al just retired for the second time this summer. Now, for the last 20 years in his retirement, he's just worked six months a year, 40 hours a week at the golf course. So I guess at 93, you get the right to maybe finally retire. And uh, so we were celebrating his birthday, and Carol's just a few years behind him, and their birthdays are in June. And, and then we've let this birthday celebration grow, and, and then we brought um, some of their kids in on it. And then this summer we brought in um, neighbors in, and we had, we had a big party. It was just a blast. And uh, we live in a rural area outside of Stevens Point, Custer, and uh, it's, it's been hard to, to relationally break in to that community. It's a somewhat of ethnic community. It's a strong religious community, but not, uh, not Protestant. And, and so what a celebration. And it just so happened that it was June 11th on my birthday that we, we had this big breakthrough this summer. And it, it was also exactly, I, I'm a man of dates, I remember things. It just happened to be exactly 20 years to the day that we had lived in Custer. Some things take a long time, some things take too long, right? So don't give up. And, uh, and uh, wow, one of the young men that was there was 18, and now he's in San Diego, he's in the Marines. And when he was back last month, he came up and visited us twice. The Spirit of God is working in his life. I tell you stories of other young people in the neighborhood there. So we're trying to build a missional community. I could tell you about Frida. We buy our eggs from Frida. I take my grandkids over there, and she just has a blast showing my grandkids, especially Ezra, her chickens. And Well, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. You can engage with people in a lot of different ways, right? Here's another picture. Oh, exciting. There's downtown Custer. Yeah. Anyone ever been to Custer? All right. Hey, all right. We have some converts here. And um, that's the St. Patrick's Day Parade. There's one parade a year in Custer. There's three taverns and a car repair shop and a post office in Custer. 
And that say St. Patrick's Day, so you don't want to miss that. And I made a point that um, it starts at Clancy's Irish Pub, and they walk the whole block out to the highway and back. So, you know, if you don't like long parades, it's a short parade. Well, you see that little golf cart back there, painted green, uh, for Packers, of course. Um, there's Phil in there and his grandson, next-door neighbor of ours. And um, so I got to know Phil and his family, and, and Phil's no longer with us. Phil died two years ago, but his son, his grandson, Nick, takes care of our dogs. And wow, the family is coming along. So, you know, it's not rocket science to, to go to where the people gathered. Where, if, you, if you live in Custer, you've got to find out somewhere, <laughs> even if it's, uh, you know, if it's just the St. Patrick's Day parade. And, and, and now I've been back. So once I started changing my mind, and rather than judging people and and thinking, well, if I could just abstain from doing the things they're doing, I'll be more holy. No, I'm holy in Christ. I need to engage where they are and what they're doing. So so you'll find me at Clancy's on occasion. If you don't find me at home, come down to Clancy's, because I'm trying to connect with people down there. There will be opportunities for us to be engaging. So just to, to wrap up in the last couple minutes, just a little broader picture of my dream. I desire to be part of a Jesus movement of multiplying disciples and ministries and churches which will glorify God by living out the great commandment, which is love God and love others, and fulfilling the great commission. Because Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified that you bear fruit. And you'll prove to be disciples. So Another picture, I'm involved all over the state. We're trying to make disciples and plant churches. And you see the bridge on there? Hey, bridge, other places. But here's else what's happening. Another slide here. Here's some of my buddies, the guy in the middle. He planted the church in downtown Appleton a year and a half ago. So we're seeing more and more guys in their 20s who are saying, and, and he was an entrepreneur. He'd never been to Bible college, never been to seminary. Um, started a division in a company that quickly grew to 20 employees, a million-dollar budget. There are these people out there. They don't need to go to seminary to make disciples and to plant churches. So we're looking for a new generation of people. In fact, at this wedding last week in Wausau, a young man who is, has graduated from UW-Eau Claire here and is dating a girl here and so forth, he's probably going to become a church planter. He's never been to seminary. But he can do... The real, what I'm just talking about, TMC. Now, here's a picture of the guy coming. I think he's coming next week to preach here. Uh, the guy in the middle, Jed. I think Jed will be with you. And, and watch out. He'll probably talk to you about discipleship again or something. Because Jed moved from Stoughton, Wisconsin. He had been on staff with Jerry to be planting a church in Appleton with the guy on the left there, David. And that was a picture taken just a, a month ago at our fall conference. So it's great to be seeing that um, we are individually and as a group and as a district and as part of the denomination, learning to make disciples. Well, I had to throw in a picture of my grandkids, right? Last slide. So um, it's grown since then. I don't think there's ever a current picture because it's always changing. But, but I hope you remember that the most important thing is that we're here. Either we are disciples of Jesus or we are considering becoming a follower of Jesus. 
And hopefully if you are in that considering stage, you're able to look at people around you and say, oh, that's what a disciple looks like. That's what a follower of Jesus looks like. Oh, yeah, they've been inviting me over to their home and, and we've been doing things. And it, it's a new day where the church is no longer defined by where it meets or when it meets. The church is defined by the people. And wherever the people are, the church is. So the church is not primarily a place. It's not primarily an event at a time. And it's not primarily a duty. The church is its a people and it's an experience and it's a delight. Because we are followers of Jesus who are living this out and enjoying Christ. We're enjoying each other. And we're inviting the world, come on in and enjoy being with us. Not rocket science, but I trust that the Spirit of God is saying to you that each of us wants to surrender ourselves and recommit ourselves to being a wholehearted follower of Jesus to the extent that I can actually do that. And so my friend Doug, who's uh, retired from a, a company, he grew from zero to 700, and now he's retired. He's making disciples in lacrosse, and he's teaching pastors how to make disciples. That's cool. Let's pray. Father, help each of us to enjoy a mountaintop experience day by day of being with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your word, in a fellowship, in a loving relationship. Help each of us to break through the barriers. Maybe there's hurts. Maybe there's woundedness. Maybe it's sluggishness that would keep us from enjoying community with a close-knit group of Christians. And Father, may you be glorified to send us out on mission all around the place with beautiful fruit. Maybe it's that next door neighbor. Maybe it's a family member that's estranged. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.